You are listening to an artist interview from Chirp Radio. You can find more interviews at chirpradio.org slash podcasts. Now, baby, meet me in the bottom. Bring me my running shoes. My name is Mike Nikolich. You're listening to a Chirp Radio artist interview. Johnny Iguana has been a fixture on Chicago's blues scene for more than 20 years. His new album, Johnny Iguana's Chicago Spectacular, has been climbing the national blues and roots music charts this fall. It includes old standards from blues legends like Sonny Boy Williamson and Elmore James, plus new tracks written by Johnny, as well as contributions from Chicago blues all-stars like Billy Boy Arnold, Little Ed, and John Primer. So you grew up in Philly as Brian Berkowitz. How did you become Johnny Iguana? I was about 15 when my uncle sent me some very formative blues records at a time where I was listening to punk and post-punk and new wave and stuff. And, and I, was, I played classical piano since I was eight years old. And so uh, when I was 15, he sent me Junior Wells, Hoodoo Man Blues, and Jimmy Smith, Oregon Grinder Swing. And I was presently 20 minutes from where Jimmy Smith grew up, out of Philly, and so it's kind of the Hammond, Oregon capital of the world there, Philadelphia. And then um, he just made me some mixtapes my uncle did that had Lonnie Mack and the Trineers and a bunch of really good Oregon stuff on it and kind of other blues things. And so I really started to get into roots music, which was not very common among my friend base there in the Philly suburbs. But, but I found like-minded people, and I joined my first blues band when I was just starting to drive when I was 16. And, and the guy that I played with, I had previously played some music with, but then we both kind of found, got into blues and jazz at the same time. And um, he, he was, he, his fake name was Stevie Lizard, and he had Stevie Lizard in his all-reptile orchestra. And, and the bass player had the name, was given the name Bobby Iguana, and I, just, I was dubbed his brother, Johnny Iguana. And then when I ended up joining the Junior Wells Band when I was 23, I just kind of resurrected the name because it kind of reminded me of my early blues days. It was kind of a good nostalgic feeling for me. So, Johnny, how did you get involved at Junior Wells? I actually first met him at a club outside Philadelphia, but then when I met him in New York, he was he was in between piano players, and it was actually his former piano player that knew he was in New York that night and brought me to see him. I'm eternally grateful. You know, it was a perfect time for me to have met Junior because they wanted somebody who was, you know, not going to be a real trouble as far as a human being goes and, and a, an, an employee, if you will. Um, he quickly understood that Junior Wells was like my, one of my greatest musical heroes, and and I played a lot of that stuff. And so they, they said, all right, well, let's see how you do. Come on up. I was living in New York City. So they said, come on up to Boston. And the House of Blues there was still pretty new. And so I, with great nerves, I sat in and played with them. I mean, these are, all the musicians had been in the bands of, of Screaming Jay Hawkins and, and Magic Sam and Junior and Buddy and, you know, played with all those people. Uh, the, the trombone player, who was kind of the band leader on stage, was the band leader for B.B. King. So, you know, for me, it was like, you know, talk about nerves. And I wasn't about to, like, drink too much cause to ease my nerves and then mess up the, my chances. So I just went up there and did my best. And, and I think I was okay, but I but they couldn't tell if I was really up to snuff. So they said, all right, tomorrow we're playing in Providence, Rhode Island. Go there. <laughs> and uh, let's try this again, and, and we'll make our determination. They needed more, you know, sample size of data.
you think Junior Wells would say about that period of his band and you playing in it? Well, he was always very complimentary, and I think he he thought the band was great. And you know, he always he very often would have an issue with someone in the band. He'd get it in his head that the bass player was messing up, or the horns were messing up, or something. So he was he he could kind of fetch a little bit. But uh, he was very warm, especially during the sober light of day, during the day when we were like at a restaurant or something like that. We were backstage. He was very, very warm and, and encouraging. And I was always very happy to be able to truthfully say that out of a nine-piece band, he was my favorite guy in the band. So let's talk about your new LP, Johnny Iguana's Chicago Spectacular. How did this album come about, and was it at all impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic? This was done well before, and it was really fast. We had two days we recorded all the instrumentals, and then in like four days we recorded all the vocal tunes, and then um, and then we mixed. So I think the, the total of recording was something like a week, and then the mixing was something like a week. So, I mean, we all knew what we wanted to do. Everybody involved was really good. We had a very minimal rehearsal. We just showed the people like Billy Boy and um, Billy Flynn and Kenny and everyone was going to take part, just came in. And we, we ran through, because everyone was just going to do a couple songs, so so we just ran through them and then discussed a couple things and picked a key and that kind of thing. And then, then people came and we scheduled it all back to back. And so it was long days for me, cause I, and that's why my hand is pictured in blood on the, on the cover of the album, because this piano is literally 100 years old and it's really stiff. And I tried doing what they call a glissando, where you kind of wipe your hand up and down the keys, and it, it didn't make any sound, but it did take the skin off my fingers. John Primer and Little Ed tracks, but one of my favorite cuts was definitely your version of Elmore James' Shake Your Moneymaker. I thought that was very close in spirit to the version that Peter Green did in the early days of Fleetwood Mac. Thank you. You know, I mean, well, there was no doubt in my mind that that with Ed was going to be just really, really special. And and then having Kenny Smith, who's, you know, whose who's dad was Muddy Waters drummer for decades as the band. And, and I had made the determination not to have bass players on the vocal tunes on this record. I wanted to do it all with the left hand of the piano because I just think it's kind of a grittier, meaner sound. You know, we have bass guitar on the instrumentals there, the original compositions on there, but all the vocal tunes, I just wanted that sort of woody, you know, old strings, 100-year-old piano sound for the bass. Because a lot of those old blues records, if there is bass, it's hard to hear. And it's not like up front in the speakers. I think modern blues records have too much separation where here's the floor tom, and here's the bass drum, and here's the bass guitar, and here's one guitar, and here's the piano, and everyone takes a separate solo. And I think it should be kind of grittier and dirtier than that and have more of that, I think of it as like a Dixieland spirit where when when it's not a vocal section and you're soloing, just kind of play on top of each other, just listen to each other and just everybody play and it's a free-for-all. Tell me why you decided to record Lady Day and John Coltrane 
Michael Caskey, who's, who's the drummer on a bunch of the record, who's, who's my Claudette's mate who founded that band with me, when he said he was, he was going to overdub percussion to what Philip Michael and I did on Lady Day and John Coltrane, and he he did like a like a low rider, you know, like a you know kind of a war, kind of like a Latin halftime kind of rhythm uh, that, and I was like, that's a great idea because it just takes it instantly into a completely different territory than the than the groove and the beat of the original, and I thought that sort of kind of almost takes the pressure off and it just became our own thing. And, and I thought that was really cool. But Philip Michael's a guy in Chicago that um, I'd heard of and um, we knew some common people and he, he's BB King's nephew also. And he, um, you know, Larry, the producer and I were talking about who's going to be the touring band for this. And I know that little Ed and John Primer, they've, they've all got their own careers and they're, they're probably not going to just go off with me because they're just, as soon as, you know, live shows return and, and before this even happened that they were just busy all the time. So I knew I kind of had a band with me and Bill Dickens and Michael Cassie, but who's going to, who's going to be up front there like singing. And so I contacted Philip Michael and he, he said, this is really interesting. You're contacting me now because with BB being my uncle, you know, even though he really encouraged me in music and stuff, I've always kind of resisted the blues thing, kind of just being almost like a birthright, and he just didn't kind of avoided it. And he does kind of an indie soul kind of a thing, like leaning more towards soul, and he's a songwriter and singer and songwriter. So, but he said, I, I, lately I've been kind of sort of interested in kind of get moving a little into that more rootsy, bluesy direction. So, so I just had him kind of you know, saying like, maybe we'll do this, maybe we'll tour together and you can be part of the band. And so he just sent me some recordings of him kind of redoing the vocals and guitar on 44 and down in the bottom. It sounded great and burning fire too. But we wanted to put him on the record, even though we'd finished the rest of the track. So Larry and I were talking and since the record bridges old Chicago blues classics with kind of my own compositions and kind of a newer contemporary kind of feel, we thought we both kind of arrived at Gil Scott Heron, who called himself a bluesologist and was from Chicago. We thought that song would be a really cool idea. And I already play that song as a duo with Michael Kasky when we play live sometimes. I, I already have a way of playing that. So I sent it to Phil and Michael and he just sounded so great singing it. And he just recorded his own guitar and vocals and then Michael had the discussion and there's the track. Well, the album's called Johnny Iguana's Chicago Spectacular. It's on the Delmark label. Johnny, what a pleasure it's been to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you for inviting me to talk to you. Plastic people with plastic minds are on their way to plastic home. This has been an artist interview from Chirp Radio. You can find this and more interviews at chirpradio.org slash podcasts.